It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello, Hockey World. Today is Monday, September 21st, 2015. I'm Michael Agello of HockeyBuzz.com, and I'm pleased to be joined once again by the former assistant general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Mr. Bill Waters. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Michael, and happy autumn. Yes, happy autumn and happy hockey season. Uh, yes, the, a lot the of Maple things Leafs. to be happy for. Yes, the, uh, I, like, I like the cooler temperatures, by the way. Uh, yeah. the, the, Ma- the Maple Leafs uh, opened their training camp with a three-day weekend uh, in uh, suburban Halifax, Nova Scotia, and they start their exhibition schedule uh, tonight with split squad games in Canada and in Toronto against the Ottawa Senators and also play Montreal tomorrow night at the Bell Center. Uh, Bill, I was up at, the, uh, at the, the training camp media day on Thursday, and you know, the last time we talked was a few days after Lou Lamorello was hired as general manager. And I was curious to see what his role would be with the Leafs, how much power he would have, how much control he would have. Um, I didn't think it would be he would be as omnipotent as he was in New Jersey, but I thought he would have a significant footprint. And there are signs that this is a Lou Lamorello operation right now. Um, what are you hearing or what do you think? Do you think he has? Like absolute control, or do you think Shanahan is Brendan Shanahan is at at the at the control of this organization right now? Well, I think Lou has absolute control of player number twenty six down, mm-hmm. and uh, Babcock controls the team. It'll be his decision to make as to whether he wants the player on his team, and if he wants the player, he'll say to Lou, Lou, do what you can to get rid of him. He's not going to play on my team. He doesn't have what I want. And that will be that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That is a standard procedure uh, when a uh, coach is hired before the general manager. I mean, you have to respect the fact that your boss, Brendan Shanahan, paid Mike Babcock $6.25 million for eight years. And Lou inherited that. So he can't expect to crack that nut. But for the, there's lots of work for Lou. Don't uh, don't ever worry about that. But Mike Babcock has got autonomic control of the first 23 players, but I extend it to 25. The first 25 players uh, that belong to the Toronto Maple Leafs. The, the signs that I'm referring to, is, I mean, some of them are, you know, who really cares that all the players are clean-shaven? I mean, it, it, I know that's the, that's the Lamorello influence from, you know, his days sort of like, um, the influence of the New York Yankee George Steinbrenner, um, you know, um, MO uh, of having the players clean shaven. I think it's more just that may have them be more professional. But the, you know, Lou was rather known, well known for his secrecy, his ability to keep his cards close to the vest in New Jersey. And it was tough to ever get any kind of trade rumors. Out of out of New Jersey until and you only found out about the trade when it was announced. And for example, on Thursday, 
I'm standing in a press scrum with a bunch of the reporters waiting for uh, players to come out, and they announced that uh, Lou was going to come out and speak to the media around 12, and then it got moved ahead 15 minutes. And in that 15 minutes, the deal that uh, they made with the Islanders for Michael Grabner was announced. And I think I'm fairly safe in saying nobody knew that deal was coming. This organization has been a sieve in terms of rumors for years, and under Shanahan and now under Lamorello, they're very quiet. No, and, and I'm happy for the organization. I'm happy for Lou. That's the way it should be. It was like the year that we uh, um, made the six-year contract for Sundin, uh, similar to the big trade we had made for Le Cavalier that eventually was turned down. I was working with Rick Dudley on the Le Cavalier deal, and I said, Rick, I don't want the Toronto media to be a third partner in this deal. I said, let's just keep it between you and I. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. And that's simply because nobody told anybody else. It was Rick Dudley and I that were working on the deal. Pat Quinn knew, but Pat doesn't deal with the media in that department. Uh, And so, consequently, uh, when the time came for um, Sundin's extension, a few years later, we'd been working on it for well over a month. And I remember Mike Zeisberger calling me from Sweden. We'd already agreed to the deal, sent the contract over to be signed. And Zeisberger had a contact in Sweden, a friend of Matt's, who Matt's had told, I've, I've agreed to an, uh, a new deal with the Maple Leafs. That's the first time that any member of the Toronto media knew that it was ongoing. And so it's not hard to do. It's a matter of having faith in the people that you bring into your inner circle. And in Toronto, there were far too many of them that got involved. And most importantly, it was usually the chairman of the board. Hmm. Um, Now, one thing that uh, Mr. Lamorello had mentioned in his press conference when he was hired and I believe has mentioned in comments to the media since is that he wants to, you know, sort of take stock and evaluate the players on the Maple Leafs roster before they, they go ahead and make any more moves which is curious because they moved five players who probably he hadn't seen play because four of them were mostly uh, in the minors, uh, along with Taylor Beck in this deal for Michael Grabner. And you know, obviously, Lou Lamorella has seen Grabner play because he played, with the Islanders, he's played for the Islanders for a number of years, and he was the GM and president of the Devils. But to me, Bill, that strikes a tone that, Mark Hunter and Kyle Dubas had significant input on this deal because these were probably players they they signed off on saying, yes, you can get rid of them because we don't think they have a big future with the Leafs. Yeah, I think that's reasonable, Mike. I don't think Lou Lamorello. First of all, the only uh, time Lou Lamorello saw Michael Grabner, I would think, would have been with the games between the Devils and the Islanders. And the Devils were one of the softest teams that ever played in the NHL last year. And yeah. Grabner loves that. Grabner is not an aggressive physical player. He can skate well. Uh, he's, he's, he can skate well. And if given opportunity, he can score. He won't drive to the net, but he can skate well. And that's the extent of it. And he's got one year left in his contract, and he's a UFA. And they had to move, make room in – uh, in Brooklyn for Brock Nelson. And so somebody had to go. Brock Nelson's $3 million, 
uh, fit nicely under Grabner's $3 million. Send him out, bring Brock Nelson in. And uh, that, that was the reason for the deal. And to make Grabner anything more than a fast skater is doing him no justice whatsoever. You're creating expectations that are not going to happen. The 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 theory and, I, and this the theory that I have. I mean, Lou was very um, pointed in the commentary that they you know the, the Leafs were looking for flexibility and that they moved these five pro contracts out for one expiring contract and Grabner. I mean, he he talked about Grabner's speed and how and his abilities, but you look at it, he's another pending UFA. This team has I think eight or nine players who could make their 23 who are going to be pending UFAs which means those players could be trade candidates near the deadline. But I think the, the, the aim of this deal was not Grabner and bringing him in, but was the flexibility to potentially either make deals down the line where they're getting two or three players for one, or maybe signing some of these PTO players that they brought into training camp. Do you think that that's the case? I don't think that's an unreasonable theory. I, I in fact, think it makes more sense than – making the Grabner deal on a strictly skilled basis. Grabner, if he is allowed to play, Grabner was going to be the 13th forward in the island. Mm -hmm. So as a 13th forward, you're not going to generate a lot of trade interest. With Toronto, he could he could get into the top nine. So there might be some interest in trading him. I, I think Toronto's season will be an interesting one because I think Mike Babcock will do a good job of making them competitive and making them entertaining. What they're going to have to do is to make a decision by the trade deadline as to whether they're rebuilding or they're just pretending. And if they're pretending, shame on them. If they're rebuilding, then the nine or ten candidates that you've just spoken of, and Bozak, Lupul, and Fanuf will be very significant part of the trade deadline of the 15-16 season. And that's where the Leafs can really fill their boots with some good draft picks, uh, maybe even some half-decent young prospects. But the, the, the trade deadline of uh, 2016 will probably go down in history as one of the more significant uh, times of transaction for the Toronto Maple Leafs and, in fact, uh, made a big step forward in their rebuilding process. Now, Mike Babcock on Thursday, you know, was rather adamant in saying that, you know, he didn't want to look back at what some of the players who are holdovers from the Randy Carlisle, Peter Horacek era did last season. He wasn't going to look at any video from last year because, you know, he wants to, he wants to look at things with his, um, you know, with a fresh set of eyes, give them a, a fresh start and not, you know, maybe – not get the wrong impression based on how badly they played last year. I mean, I think that's a that's a good idea, but I also think that by looking back at last year, you recognize some of these players, some of the ones that you just mentioned, are not complete players. And maybe, you know, I've, Mike Babcock is going to find out the hard way that guys like Joffrey Lupul and Nazem Kadri don't like playing in the defensive zone. No, I, I agree, and I don't think Mike Babcock would have said anything differently. Any coach that's worth his salt, and there are at least 30 of them in the NHL, would have said the same thing. 
unless you'd coached them the year before and they'd let you down the way those three guys, in addition to others, let down Peter Horacek and the Toronto Maple Leafs. I wouldn't have let them come back, but they have. And the reason they have is they couldn't get anything for them. Uh, and uh, they saw what happens when you've got an exorbitant contract like Kessel had, and you have to trade your most talented player, and you get practically diddly squat for him. So they understood that they'd put themselves in a very precarious position from announcing their rebuild, and in that way indicating to everyone that wanted to listen, we've got a fire sale, and the fire sale wasn't going to work. So now they're going to pack this team with players who are either eligible to be traded because we want to trade them or are eligible to be traded because they're UFAs and have a clear slate at the end of the season. And that's going to be done uh, in steps when, in fact, you get an offer from L.A. as an example. They need a defenseman. They've had interest in Phaneuf before. They may be able to come through with something that makes sense to the Maple Leafs. And they're going to trade him. They have to trade him. Everybody watched Phaneuf and Kessel go through the act. It hasn't changed. They've just changed by a half. So that has to be done. And if it's not done by the trade deadline, it has to be done then. And if you can't do it again, you have to admit that you were a failure. Lou Lamorello's challenge, as I see it, is moving all of those people and moving them for significant, when I say significant, reasonable assets. And if Lou does that, he's worth the three-year salary he's getting. And the uh, the possibility of that. And, you know, uh, there, I'm sure there are other teams out there, like Dallas has long been in, uh, rumored to be interested in Phaneuf, but the, the L.A.-Phaneuf connection that has been rumored over the last couple of years, I think that gained a little more steam in the last week when the slot, when Slava Voinov announced that he was going to self-deport back to Russia and vacate the final, I think it's four years of his contract, that opens up almost $5 million in cap space for a team that was up against the cap. So maybe down yeah, there's a trade deadline. Yeah. Now that that's only $2 million, uh short of uh, meeting the demands of a FNUF contract. They're going to have to pay at least $2 million of FNUF's contract. David Nonis left a lot of... Uh, 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 Collateral legacy damage. With the, yeah. Legacy with the lease, but nothing nothing more dreadful than those two people and those two contracts. Benoff and Kessel will tie the Leafs in knots for years to come. Now, looking at the, looking at the team right now, I, I was at the rookie tournament in London, Ontario. Um, some impressive rookies. Obviously, most of them, uh, the ones who are junior eligible, are going back to junior. I, I personally think, even though uh, William Nylander looks like he could make the NHL with most organizations and probably could make the uh, the Leafs if they were open to it. I think he's going to spend the entire year with the Marlies because they don't want his entry-level deal to kick in, and they they don't want him to be around, which, which could be a transitional and maybe losing uh, scenario with the Leafs. Um, do you think that there there's some question of whether this team is actually going to stick to the principles that they've talked about the last year or whether they're going to succumb and have a young player like him or Connor Brown make the team? Do you think that they'll stick with their guns and keep the young kids down in the minors? Well, I've known Brendan Shanahan for well over 20 years. In general, he's a man of principle. 
and the principle that he sold to the Toronto Maple Leaf hockey fans was very simple. We're going to rebuild this franchise so we have a chance to win a Stanley Cup someday. We don't right now. And if he does succumb to the pressure of moving those kids ahead by a year when they aren't, when it isn't necessary, because this is a rebuilding year, everybody's bought into it, it's a bottom five finish. So don't mm-hmm. try and fool anybody. Get yourself settled in. Get rid of all you can this year. This is a year of transition. And get as many good draft picks as you can uh, ready for the 16 draft. So I, I, I'm, I have a lot of confidence in Brendan. I have a lot of confidence in Mike Babcock. I've lo- known Lou Lamorella for 25 years. If he's not a man of his word, then I missed out on him. So I think these people know what they were hired for, uh, Babcock in particular, but Lou Lamorello was simply doing what Brendan Shanahan wants him to do. Mm-hmm. I understand the point of view of the organization, you know, of Mike Babcock talking optimistically about, you know, the, the, this year, you know, you, do, you, you, you can't expect the general manager or uh, the director of player personnel, or the head coach of the team, to say we're gonna we're gonna lose, we're gonna be bad. You know they have to look at things optimistically, and so do the players. But from an objective point of view, Bill, and I know that you looked over the roster of the team, and I have over the summer. I don't see how this team even comes close to being competitive for a playoff spot because not only did they not replace the 30 goals a year that are missing from Phil Kessel. But they finished 24th in the league last year with 211 goals. They need 30 to 40 more goals to, to get up into the middle or, or into the top 10 of the NHL to score enough to be able to compete for a playoff spot. And I just don't see the players being added there to, to accomplish that goal. Well, I, I think, Mike, you're very perceptive. But you're also perceptive from an advantageous standpoint because you know what their, their M.O. is. It's to rebuild. So the first consideration was you can't have a contract of more than one year's duration. And in general, uh, general sense, we want you on a UFA. And that's what they've filled with. And that's why they've paid those players to come to Toronto. And they're hoping that they, because of the quality of the team, they will get lots of exposure. And because of the quality of the coach, they will overachieve. The one thing the least have to be careful of is overachieving is anything above the bottom five. You don't want any of that. So if you come to the trade deadline and the Leafs are in the playoffs, they better start bringing in the flight crew because they've got to bail out real quick. They've got to parachute everybody out of here so they don't make the playoffs because that's not going to accomplish any rebuild. They've got to be able to tear that team down on or about trade deadline time or months before. I mean, you, you, you give what you want for a guy, you, you unload him. And you bring up one of the uh, uh, reruns from uh, uh, the Marlies, or you bring in a minor leaguer from the team you traded the other guy to. I mean, it's quite easy to do that once you're into February, March. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that we'll see more entertaining hockey with Babcock coaching than we have in a while. That's that's a repeat, and you know, history does seem to repeat itself sometimes. Uh, that's that's a repeat of what happened during the John Ferguson Jr. Paul Maurice era, where this team was 
close to a playoff spot near the deadline, had players that they, you know, probably could have traded and, and received very good compensation for. Um, and then you know, we obviously know the whole Muskoka 5, Cliff Fletcher era when, you know, they tried to get some of these players to waive the no-trade clauses. My, my question is, like, when it gets to that point, when we're at, like, say, February 27th, and February 29th is the trade deadline, and this team is two points or four points out of eighth place, is Shanahan and Lamorello going to have the intestinal fortitude and the ability to stick with their guns and trade players away when they know that it's going to cost them a playoff spot? You know, oh, yeah. I, they'll, 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 face, they'll face the firestorm of the media that, oh, you know, we're competing for a playoff no, spot. I and we just... I don't think so, Mike. I don't think, I think, I think it's an illusion. It's not an illusion to think that they'd be close enough to the playoffs to compete. They'll never make it. Right. Those guys will all shake down after the trade deadline. If they, uh, it, it just is not, it's not a, a plausible role to expect the group that they have together now to make the playoffs. I mean, that would have to uh, be a, a catastrophic event where at least 10 teams in the league uh, got malaria and couldn't play the rest of the season. That's the only way they're going to make it. Well, the mumps spread, mump spread throughout the league last year, Bill, so anything is possible. Yeah, that's that's, right. that's right. No, I, I, just, I just don't see them <sighs> – being a candidate for the playoff spot come the end of March, mm-hmm. they better have found a, pl- a way to get themselves down uh, n- near the bottom five so that they can get a player who has a chance to be um, a franchise player. And you don't get them. You, you're, you have to be lucky if you get them after 10 or 11. But if you're in the top five, you've got a good chance to uh, give yourself another player who can play at the level that you expect uh, when you're rebuilding a team and looking forward to having a chance someday of uh, building a Stanley Cup winner. And and the Leafs are a long way away from that. You know that, Mike. Mm-hmm. It might okay. be nice if they got lucky and, uh, you know, won the lottery. They get the number one pick. That would help. Chicago managed to pull that one off a couple times. So did Edmonton. Well, I've, I've been of the opinion that if the, if the Leafs if the Leafs won the lottery this year, because right now the, the, the presumptive number one pick in next year's draft is Austin Matthews, yeah. uh, the, the American who's playing in the Swiss League right now. He's from Scottsdale, Arizona. He would be the savior of the Arizona Coyotes franchise. So I, I – and this is just my theory. I'm sure that this is not even being – wouldn't even be thought of right now, or maybe down the line. But if Arizona had the chance to trade – to get Austin Matthews if they didn't win the lottery. I have a feeling that guys like Max Domi or Dylan Strome would be offered in a deal to bring the the hometown savior to, to Arizona because that type of player, if he ends up being a star, could save that franchise. Yeah, I, I hope so. And I hope if, in fact, it's close to a reality that you get some cooperation from those people who are above Phoenix. It will be a it will be a deft move on Batman's part to be able to make sure that this is done. But I don't I don't I, the lottery can't be rigged, and the draft can't be rigged unless uh, settled by reasonable transaction. And 
I can see Gary Bettman going to uh, the team that holds, let's say Phoenix is two and uh, um, Toronto is one. But they just have to make a deal. What, what good is Austin Matthews to the Maple Leafs when you compare it to what good he is to the Phoenix? And maybe you bring back uh, Strom. I think it would be too much of a, uh, a windstorm to bring Max back because you know his father's still around town and is well-known. I don't think it would be good for Max. But mm-hmm. Strom would be the answer. And you flip picks, that's all. Two more things, Bill. Uh, first... Uh, Nazem Kadri was one of the many players who spoke at uh, the media day on Thursday, and I was struck. Uh, one of the reporters asked him a question about whether, you know, he was. I, I can't remember the exact wording of what, whether he's capable of being the number one center or whether he feels he's the number one center. And of course, Nazem, who has never been shy and never been, uh, yeah, never, never has lacked of confidence. You know, said, sure, I believe I'm the number, or I believe I can be the number one center. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. But this is a guy who has regressed since that almost point-per-game year three years ago. He scored 20 goals two years ago. He scored uh, less than 20 last year. He has not improved defensively. Um, he's not. He has not been what more – he has not been well-rounded as a player, and now – Obviously, last year with the suspension, there were some off-the-ice issues. I know he, you know, he worked out like crazy in the summer and says he's in the best shape of his career, but I think that you know, the, the physical thing has less to do with him being capable of being a number one center, and the maturity is what is the factor. I, do you think Nazem Kadri is fooling himself that he can be a number one center in the NHL? No, I'm not. Um I, I think he could be a lot better if he understood that being a lot better requires a lot more hard work on his part. He is a gifted center iceman who has too many other priorities other than being prepared to play. He's never prepared to play, whether it be from his socializing, whether it be from his bad living habits, whether it be from his punkish nature. All of those three have to be built upon, and he has to look after himself physically in order to maximize the skill. I, I, I think he could be a number one center for the Leafs as early as October the 7th. On the other hand, he could be another disappointment. I don't know what he's done. He's obviously worked physically harder than he ever has. He has to explain that. But the maturity factor may never kick in. He may never, ever realize that there are a series of intangibles that could make him a good National League center iceman, a first National League center iceman. I remember when Cliff Fletcher was uh, looking at him in the draft, and he said to me, he said, boy, this guy can play. And Cliff, you know, knows a lot more about hockey players than I'll ever know, and most people will ever know. I'm sure he wonders what happened to Nazem Kadri from the time they drafted him. Well, I'll tell you what happened. They didn't have somebody to hold his hand. They just couldn't keep the rope wasn't short enough. And he was having the time of his life at lots of money, and he got to phone his dad every night before and after the game. And I, when I saw that, I said, okay, 
we got a problem. No disrespect to his dad or to him, but the act of calling your dad, unless he's not well, uh, but calling him for hockey advice is the worst advice you could ever give yourself. And we saw that on the 24-7 on HBO because he, they they showed him on video talking to his dad like before the Pittsburgh game and after the Pittsburgh. I think it was after the Pittsburgh game, yeah. too. So. Well, we called him uh, before and after every game, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the last thing is uh, I, I personally think the most important player on the Maple Leafs this year is Morgan Riley. Not only because, you know, he's a 21-year-old kid who was a top-five pick, but entering his third year, um, he was one of the few bright spots last year, has a lot of ability. He seems to be, you know, maturing physically, um, seems to have a, a even keel and a good head on his shoulders, and I think the organization sees him as the, you know, the heir apparent as the number one defenseman. You know, once either Phaneuf, if, if Phaneuf isn't traded, then maybe as Phaneuf gets older, Riley takes over that mantle as the team's number one defenseman. The NHL is uh, is getting pretty strange, Bill, when it comes to defensemen, young defensemen. Uh, New Jersey signed Adam Larson, who was looked upon as pretty much a failure as a first-round pick, but then he had a good year. And he got, I think it was a five- or six-year extension. Now, Oscar Clefbaum from Edmonton, who played a total of 77 NHL games over two years, was signed with one year left on his contract. He's still on his entry-level deal. Signed for seven years at about $4.16 million. I'm starting to think that you know this is a trend. The number of young defensemen are getting signed to the long-term deal. And I'm just wondering when the Leafs are going to sign Riley. And it might be this year. It may be beneficial for them to lock him up as long as they can for as, you know, as economical of a deal as possible. Do you think that that is the viewpoint of the Maple Leafs organization? Well, I would hope it is. I mean, they're looking at what others are doing. And they have done less than what Riley has already done. But if Riley is well-represented, he won't go for it. He won't go for it. Say no. There's more money there than that. I'm not. I'm not going to sign Clefbaum money. That's what I would tell my. If, if I was representing Morgan Riley, I would say, Morgan, here's what I think is a fair bridge contract, or a fair extension. Four million is not fair. Four million is a giveaway for the club, and at the end of it, you're going to be disappointed, because if you play well. You're going to play for a long time at $4 million. If you don't play well, you got all the money you shouldn't have gotten. And if you play well on a shorter term, you're going to be able to get the kind of money that people were silly enough to pay P.K. Subban. Look at the way Subban did it. He played it smart, took the short-term contract, had a lot of confidence in himself. You can see that. Solid education. He knew he could go from hockey to business and succeed. And now he's he's got a $9 million contract when a $5 million contract would have been just fine. Uh, So there's nothing wrong with that, but you have to weigh what you feel your upside is and what you feel playing for 10 years at $4 million a year will do to you because you can't change it. You're, you're, he, Clefbaum is stuck with it. And look at uh, the kid, Eric, is it Erickson in Ottawa? Mm-hmm. He, 
yeah, yeah, he he uh, he was smart enough to play it cool, and now he's making six and seven million bucks. He's only twenty five years of age. You got to be careful. You got to you got to put a little risk into this. You can't if you want the security, take the four million dollars. But you know your complaint about cleft bomb. I I just think that Shirelli's seen him at camp. He's compared him to what he has, mm-hmm. and he says, you know what? If it's not this year, it's going to be next. He's going to be our number two defenseman. And so I, I think it's a great signing. Not having watched Clefbaum, at least not knowing I was watching him, uh, because I had no reason to watch him um, over last season. And you, you know the sample size is small, but if it's apparent to you, you got to do what you have to do to protect your long-term best interests. And you, you could have the Duncan Keith of hockey and paying him four million a year. I mean that's. That's a hell of a deal when you look at it from Edmonton's standpoint. It might be just exactly what Clefbaum wanted, but I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't have recommended it. Well, in 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 the case, I remember what happened with Subban. It was funny that Montreal was really adamant about getting him to the bridge deal when he wanted a five-year deal and a little over five million dollars, and they didn't think he had proved enough. And in retrospect, yeah. they. You know they 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 cost themselves like sixteen million dollars, uh, or it was the difference between five million and nine million for two yeah. or three years of the of the long term deal that he sure. signed. Uh, in, 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 yeah, sorry. In Riley's in Riley's case, I think it's a case where if the Leafs are going to sign him to a long term deal, six or seven years, they're probably going to have to get over five, maybe even five and a half, because they're buying unrestricted years away from the kid. Yes. Oh, I would say so at least. Like I could see a five-year deal at five. Yeah. Then you're, you know, you're 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 buying a couple of uh, UFA years. That's not a that's and and he's only 26. He's in the prime of his career, 27. But these seven, eight, nine-year deals at four million a year—that's that makes no sense. Well, Bill, thank you very much for uh, coming on once again. Definitely, want to, definitely, we'll be talking to you throughout the season. Hopefully, before the at the beginning of the season, when we maybe get some predictions, what you think is going to happen during the year. But it's always a pleasure speaking to you, and thank you once again. It's always mine, Mike, and thank you very much. Call me whenever you need me. For Bill Waters, this is Michael Agello of HockeyBuzz.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.